And isn't that so true? The simple truth of the gospel that Christ has died. What a rich truth for us as followers of Christ that we get to sing and to declare it together. And now we're scattered all throughout our county and state and even throughout the nations. We know that Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ is coming again. And that's worth celebrating. And that's worth reveling in as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting to me how God is able to take something so small and turn it into something so big. He can take something so ordinary and make it extraordinary. He can take a small watermelon seed and turn it into a huge, healthy, strong watermelon. Or God can take an acorn and turn it into a mighty oak. Well, when we get to Mark chapter six, we see where Jesus does the amazing. He does the incredible. He takes a small boy's lunch and he uses it to feed thousands. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter six. As you're turning there, uh, one thing I would encourage you to do is to uh, check out our website. Um, my wife, Christy, has written a Bible study on the gospel of Mark, and it kind of walks elementary through middle school age children on how to study the scriptures, and it's just a day-by-day -day walk through the book of Mark, and you can go to our website, gowestwood.org forward slash kidsworship, and that's a great place where you can download it and get more information there. I, what I love about the gospel of Mark is that I am learning more and more about Jesus. And the more I stare at him, the more I'm amazed by him, the more I'm in love with him. It's amazing to see how he is on the move all throughout this book. In fact, that's why the sermon series is called On the Move. We see Jesus doing incredible works throughout this gospel. And when we get to Mark chapter 6, we see where Jesus pulls his disciples aside after their missionary journey, and he is about to teach them something incredible. Look with me at Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. The scripture says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it is already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. 
They picked out 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. It's amazing to see the work of Jesus here as he has his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Thousands of people have gathered. Now, instead of stiff-arming the crowd and getting some much-needed rest with his disciples, Jesus seizes this opportunity as a way to show both empathy and authority as the Messiah. I want you to notice these three things in the text this morning. The first is, I want you to see the care of Jesus for his disciples. The care of Jesus for his disciples. Look at verse 31. Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. Now, if you remember back earlier in chapter six, Jesus commissioned the 12 and sent them out in six groups of two. They went all throughout Israel teaching about the kingdom and proclaiming how Jesus is the king who has finally come. They went out casting out demons and healing the sick. So when they returned now from their short-term mission trip, they were fatigued from their travel. They were exhausted from their work. They were saddened by the news about the execution of John the Baptist. And yet they were still thrilled over all that God had done. These common, ordinary men, these fishermen, tax collectors, businessmen, and craftsmen, they'd been used by God to do something they would have never imagined in their life. And now they've come back and it's a huddle time with Jesus. And they're gonna have a time to share about their mission trip minus the PowerPoint slides. And yet Jesus knew the dangers of what happens after significant spiritual victories in the lives of people. Jesus was very familiar with Elijah who needed a retreat and needed sleep and needed food after he did battle against the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Jesus himself had angels come and minister to him after he was victorious over the temptations of Satan. You see, after moments of great significant spiritual victory, or even in times in which you might be spiritually low, These are times in which Jesus invites his disciples. He invites his people to retreats and to spend time away with him. It's interesting how verse 31, he calls them to rest for a while. That picture of rest, it means intermission from labor. It's kind of like halftime at a sports event where you will have this player who's giving his best, he's working hard, and then there's an intermission. There's a halftime. There's a time set aside in which the players can retreat. They can rest and they can refresh themselves before getting back out there onto the field. Well, that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to. It's a time to refresh their souls. And so he plans a retreat for his disciples because they couldn't even look at verse 31, have a meal together without people interrupting them. Beloved, when you experience significant spiritual victories or when you discern that your spiritual batteries are getting low, retreats, sleep, and eat. You see, physical rest and nourishment are essential for long-term faithfulness to Jesus. If you are always going hard, if you are giving 110% all the time, if you're revving the engine to the red line, eventually you're going to burn out. Jesus here is is inviting his disciples to retreat, to get away from the world because he cares for them. What a great reminder, verse 31, that Jesus cares for you. 
Not only did he make you, not only did he give his life for you, he cares for you right now. He's for you. He is with you. He is in you. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus invites you to cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. In fact, that might be a good memory verse uh, verse for your family this week. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. The Lord cares so deeply for you. If you are tired, if you're weary, Rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Retreat. Get away and spend some time with him. Now, you may not be able to retreat to a beach house or to a mountain villa, but you can retreat to a closet in your home, to get alone in your car, to walk out into the woods and bring your Bible and you pray and you seek his face and you spend time alone with your Lord and you rest in him. The second thing I want you to notice here in the text is the compassion of Jesus for his people. As the crowd around Jesus and the disciples is so large that they can't even get a bite to eat, they all, uh, the disciples get in a boat with Jesus, they head out for their retreat. But many, verse 33, saw them leaving and ran by foot ahead of them. Now this makes sense. In fact, I've got a picture I wanna show you uh, of Christy and I on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. On this picture, if we can put it up there, thank you, Josh, what you see is the other side. In fact, over my shoulder, you can see a boat out in the distance. In this area, on a clear day, you could easily see the other side. And so as the crowd sees Jesus and his disciples get into the boat and head to the other side, the crowd sees the direction that they're going and they begin running around the lake to try to get to where they are headed. It's amazing to me that even where Chris and I just took that picture, that's in the location where Jesus restored Peter after he denied him three times. Post-resurrection, Jesus pulls Peter aside and says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It's interesting because even right here in the text, we see Jesus revealing himself as the shepherd who cares for his flock. Look at verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion on the people. That word for compassion, it means to be moved in your inward parts. It's a deep-seated feeling in your gut that Jesus had in love for other people. That word is used nowhere else in scripture, only in reference to Jesus every time. You see, Jesus is the compassionate one who loves and cares for his people who are hurting. If you're hurting today, may I say to you, Jesus is compassionate. He has a feeling, a deep burden in his inward parts for you because he cares for you. He has compassion on you. Just as Jesus saw the crowd and had compassion upon them, they were like sheep without a shepherd. He cared for them so deeply. So Jesus cares so deeply for you, beloved. Have you ever had that feeling of compassion? 
Or maybe you've seen someone or a group of people in which your heart just broke for them. You, you loved them and you wanted to serve and help them in this time. I remember a while back, I was invited to go speak at a church and I spent a few days with the people there and some of them shared the story with me about how years earlier, they had a split. There was infighting and drama and gossip and it was just painful. And even though this event I was speaking at was years removed from that moment in this church's history, you could still see the pain in their face. There were still tears in their eyes. There was still remorse over what had happened. And even at that time, that church didn't have a pastor to care for them and shepherd them. And I felt, I think probably similarly to what Jesus felt here, I felt a compassion for these people. My heart hurt for them. I, I loved them as I wanted them to find healing and love and care. That's what Jesus is showing here. It is a compassion for people because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And I say to you, Jesus is your shepherd. He cares for you so deeply. And when you are hurting, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, relational, when you go through the desert of pain, Jesus is the oasis of compassion who wants to wrap his arms around you. Look at how Jesus responds here. He sees the people and he feels such a love for them. And so he responds by verse 34, teaching them many things. Now, Jesus could have easily said, you know what, guys, y'all need to go on home. I've served you. I've healed your sick. I've raised the dead. I've performed these miracles. It's time for me to have some alone time with the disciples. They've been gone for weeks on a mission trip. They need my attention. I love you, but it's time for y'all to move on. But that's not what he does here. The compassion of Jesus compelled him to take time to speak truth into the souls of these weary people. Jesus uses as an opportunity to shepherd them with the word of God. You see, Jesus loves his sheep. Jesus loves his people. Jesus loves you. Indeed, Jesus, speaking of himself in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, the ultimate act of compassion that Jesus shows for you is at the cross. It is through him giving his life, the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep, that Jesus shows you how much he loves you. That even in the midst of your pain, even when you suffer, Jesus is the one who draws near and he shows compassion. We see the care of Christ for his people. You see the compassion of God is displayed by the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. That is where we see the love of God on display that you and I have gone our own way. We have turned our back on him and yet he still loves us. He still pursues us and he shows his love for us through his death on the cross. The cross is God's way of showing, I'm not done with you yet. 
I've given my life for you so that in me, you can be redeemed. In me, you're mine. In me, you belong to me forever. In me, I know your name. In me, I'm gonna lead you to crystal clear waters. In me, I'm gonna lead you to wonderful fields. He is a shepherd who cares for his sheep. And beloved, he cares and has compassion on you. The third truth I want you to see here in the text is the compounding effect of Jesus' miracle. As the sun began to set, Jesus' disciples approach him and encourage him to dismiss the crowd so they can go get something to eat. Jesus tells them, verse 37, you give them something to eat. Now, we don't know the facial expressions of the disciples, but you can use your sanctified imagination as to how they responded. Philip asks, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Uh, A denarii was one day's wages. This is a one-day paycheck. So in essence, it's like Philip is saying, hey, listen, Jesus, why don't we just, um, yeah, let's just spend 200 days, how about eight months worth of wages and just send them to Chick-fil-A and we'll take it. What, is that going to work? There's almost a sarcasm to his tone here. Jesus says, go and see how many loaves that we have. The gospel of John says a little boy brought his lunch and it included five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, how are you going to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, which some scholars believe about more than 20,000 people are gathered here. And how are they gonna feed all these people with just bread and fish? Jesus is asking for what is humanly impossible. And that is the point. Jesus is about to display his power and authority as the Messiah, as the Christ, by showing what he can do with just the ordinary lunch of a little boy. It's amazing here. He splits up the groups into 50s and 20s, I'm sorry, 50s and 100s. He tells them to take a seat. Jesus then looks up to heaven and he blesses the meal. Now, he probably prayed the traditional prayer of Jewish blessing of bread, which says, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And thousands of people said, amen. Jesus then multiplies the bread and fish, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming. Jesus multiplies the bread so that verse 42, everyone ate and was satisfied. What? Do you see how significant this is? Jesus is multiplying food. Jesus is God who has come in the flesh and he is proving it through this incredible miracle. Jesus is taking this a little bit of food and he multiplies it to feed thousands. Reminds me of 2 Kings chapter 4 where Elisha tells his servant to take this little bit of bread and go feed 100 people with it. The servant is perplexed, like, you wanna do what? And Elisha responds with this in 2 Kings 4, 34, give it to the people to eat, Elisha said, for this is what the Lord says, they will eat and they will have some left over. Sure enough, Everyone eats and is satisfied and there are leftovers. Well, what we see in Mark 6 is that Jesus is the true and better Elisha who multiplies the bread to feed his people. In Exodus 16, 
We see the people of Israel complaining in the desert, belly aching over the fact that they don't have food. It would be better if we could just go back to Egypt. But God provided. He told Moses that he would rain down bread from heaven and he would provide for his people. Each morning, the bread was on the ground for the people to eat and they would eat until they were satisfied. Well, just as God provided bread and quail in the desert to Moses, Jesus is providing bread and fish in the desert to his people. Here is Jesus out in the desert with Israel, seated in groups of fifties and hundreds, similar to the people of God out in the Sinai desert, encamped in these different groupings. And what we see here is Jesus is the true and better Moses, who is leading people to a true and better Exodus. In John 6, after feeding the 5,000, the Jews told Jesus in John 6, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. You see, the bread that Jesus is providing in Mark chapter six is designed not only to fill the bellies of the people, but to point them to himself who alone can satisfy their soul. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. He has compassion on his sheep and he alone is the one who can satisfy their spiritual hunger. Beloved, come to Jesus and you will spiritually never hunger again. Jesus is saying, I am the one who will satisfy your soul. You come to me, you feast upon me, you believe upon me, and you will never go hungry again. I will satisfy your soul. Just as he is filling their stomachs with bread, he's using it as a means to point them to himself who will satisfy their soul. And what's so amazing about Jesus is that he is not stingy. He is generous. He is extravagant. He is over the top. Verse 41, he kept giving. I read that phrase this morning and I started laughing because I'm like, how did I not see that this week? He kept giving, those three words over and over. He just kept giving, he kept giving, he kept giving. Why? Because that's the kind of God that we serve. He is a generous God who continually gives and gives and gives. He overwhelms us with his grace. He does not hold back. He is not stingy with himself. He overwhelms and he loves to bless, to display his power and his provision so that he gets the glory. God has so much grace that he gives and he gives and he gives to those who make themselves available to him. Maybe you're here today engaging and you're saying, you know what, I've done so many things in my life that I don't deserve God's grace. Well, look to Jesus and not only will he satisfy your soul, but Jesus is the one who will give you more and more and more grace. He is extravagant. He is generous. 
we see in verse 42 that everyone ate and was satisfied. In fact, in John's account, in John 6, 11, it says everyone ate as much as they wanted. Beloved, God gives you so much grace and it's so overwhelming, it's so extravagant, it's so over the top and he never stops, he never fails. Jesus is the source of unending grace and he will satisfy your soul. You may be thinking, I don't really have anything to offer back to him. What do I give the God who owns everything? Well, you and I are just like this little boy who offers Jesus our ordinary lunch. We give him all that we have. You'd be thinking, I'm not the wealthiest. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the funniest. I, I, I don't have this popularity. I don't have a whole lot of things to give to Jesus. What's amazing is Jesus just takes what we have and he multiplies it for his glory. This morning, would you come and offer to Jesus your lunch? Would you offer to him and say, God, here is my life. Here's all that I have. It's so little in comparison to the world and so little in comparison to your infinite glory. But watch what God will do. He will take those who offer their simple offering and he multiplies it for his glory. You bring Jesus all that you have and all that you are and watch him work. You see, this drives us to our impact point. It's this, bring your ordinary to Jesus and watch him do the extraordinary. God loves when his children come to him humble, simple, honest, and say, God, here am I. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together and I don't have a whole lot to offer you. But what I do have, I give it to you. And God, would you take this and use it however you see fit? Maybe this morning, the time for you to respond is saying, God, I'm gonna put myself in your care. I offer myself to you Jesus, and I pray that you would just take my life and use it however you see fit. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we want to invite you to believe the gospel, to come to Christ, to trust in him, believe that he died on the cross for your sins, that he paid the, pen the, pun the penalty that you deserved. He was punished like we should have been, but he took it so that we don't have to, and it's free. It's yours for the receiving all you got to do is say yes and believe and trust in Christ. Say yes to Christ. The Bible says that he was buried, but didn't stay dead. That he rose again on the third day, offering eternal life to all who believe. That's the good news. Today, run away from your sin. Turn away from your old life and trust in Christ. Believe the gospel and rest in him. For those who are in Christ, would you offer to Jesus all that you have? and say, Lord, here is my proverbial lunch. Here are my five loaves and here are my two fish. I offer it to you. Would you use it however you see fit? You see, that's what God does. He takes the ordinary and he does the extraordinary. And he does it in ways that confound the prideful. 
but so that he might display his power and his authority so that he alone will get the glory. This morning, come to Christ. Offer him your life. Bring him yourself. Thank you.